All right, as we get into this, this is the final Sunday that we will be in the book of James. Uh, James has, has led us through a lot. It, it's led us through a lot of evaluation in our own lives. But today, as we look at the final two verses in the book of James, he addresses the question of, what do you do with people that leave? He just, he just kind of throws it out there, and, and so he's gone through all these things, and, and he answers the question of, in his, his time, of how do, we, how do we respond when people break fellowship with us? How do we respond when they leave? I mean, that was a, a big deal in James's day, but it's a big deal for us today. We see people come and go in church lives, right? Sometimes there's a body count when they leave, and sometimes there's a party when they leave. But we see people come and go in church life. And James, man, he gives us an incredible snapshot to show us how we are to respond to that. Let me read for us James chapter 5, verses 19 and 20. James writes and he says, My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. Now the question quickly becomes is, man, who's Whose job is that, right? I mean, whose responsibility is it to return the wanderer to the truth? Now, as you sit there, it's, it's pretty easy for you to say, well, Pastor, man, that's, I'm pretty sure that's in your contract. I mean, I, th- I, th- I think that's, that's subsection 3, article 9. That's why we hired you. You need to bring these people back. Well, I mean, okay, okay, I grant you that. There's, a, there's an element of that that's certainly true. I mean, it is... One of the roles of shepherd, pastor, elder, whatever name you want to get it, is to work for the integrity of the body. I mean, and that means following up with those who fall away. That means reaching out and loving those who, who man, they go through a rough patch and they just have a hard time being here. So we minister to those. And so that's, that's on me. It's part of my responsibility is to minister to those that find themselves walking away from the church. To minister to those that just... They're not showing up, but, but hey, lest you think it's all on me, that's, that's on you too. That's part of your responsibility. You see, we come together not just so that you can come here Sunday after Sunday and say, oh, I wonder what Matt did for us this week, but it's what are you doing for each other? What are you doing for each other? You see, we come together as a corporate expression for joint edification and for unification of the gospel. And man, it is on each and every person here. You should be thinking, when is the last time I saw this person? When is the last time I called to encourage them? So we call, we write, we visit. We earnestly entreat and say, come back. Be restored, be strengthened, be encouraged. We expend time, we expend energy restoring those who have walked away. Now that's... that's Kind of the easy part of it. Whose job is it? It's all of our jobs. Right? Amen? I, see, i got to get you to say that. For me, that means, I, you know, we, we agree. This tacit agreement's not going to happen. I need you to say amen again. Amen? amen? There we go. Amen. But we get into difficult waters when we begin to say, and begin to ask this question. What's the state of salvation for the person that walks away? What... Essentially, is this, is this person in this text saved or not? 
Well, James doesn't really give us a clear indication. Let's look at it. James says, if anyone wanders away, so it's somebody that, that goes away, from what? It wanders away from the truth. He says this person, if they're returned, they're saved from their wanderings, that they'll save his soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. And so we start getting some picture of what this person is. Now, the second one of these is, is, is easy, right? When we start looking at it, he says, if you see someone that's wandered away from the truth, they've walked away from the church, and you direct them back, the second thing it says is you're going to save them from a multitude of sins. So whatever hedonistic pleasures, whatever things that they're doing to pass their time, all the activities they're engaged in, you're saving them from sinning over and over and over again. You're calling them back into relationship with God. But when we look at the first one, what does it say? He says, you will save his soul from death. Does it not? Man, that... That starts getting a little odd. We start thinking, oh, is James not a believer that, that once saved, always saved? You see, if you were to ask most Baptists, you would say, let me ask you a question. I get saved, and, and then I, I fall away, and, and instantly they start thinking, I've heard this, I know this answer, I know this. And sometime during that conversation, they're going to they're gonna say, once saved, always saved. Just like, I, I can't believe you didn't know that, Pastor. Once, once saved, always saved. They're saved. They're just, they're just not here. Once saved, always saved. We don't need to worry about them. They're, they're, they're saved. And so we start thinking about that. Well, what does James say is going to happen to them? And he says, this person, their soul will be saved from death. Now let's say that this death is physical, okay? Now let's look at it a couple of different ways. Let's say this death is physical. And so James writes and says, if you bring this person back, you're going to stop them sinning, and you're going to save their soul from death. And it's a physical death. Well, man, now that would be some byline. I mean, that would be, come back to Ridgecrest, you're not going to die. I mean, ever. I mean, like 130, your, your knees, you're not going to want to be alive, but you're not going to die. I mean, that's, that's both good news and bad news. For me, I'm like, eh, I don't, I mean, 130, 119, I don't even want to be. Because I've, right now, I've got a gimp knee and a weak ankle. I'd hate to see what that looks like at 119. So that's probably not what James is saying, right? I mean, people die. There's no people that are wandering into the church today. And like, I remember when James wrote this, and we got the letter, and I said, I'll come back, and that was the worst mistake of my life. I want to die. If I'd known that I could leave and still live, I would have better died. That's, I mean, that's just that's ridiculous. That's not what he's talking about. And so James is talking about a person that, that will spend eternity in hell. James is talking about a person for whom there is no security, for whom there is no salvation. And so when James writes this, he is saying, if you return the wanderer, the person who has departed the truth, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. There is no way to the Father but through him. When you return someone to Christ, you cover a multitude of sins, and you save their soul from death. Now, this gets problematic for us. You see, Jesus, teaching in Matthew 13, if you want to flip over there, gives us a picture by way of a parable of exactly what James is talking about. You'll remember the, the 
often used parable there in Matthew 13. Jesus is talking about the kingdom of heaven. He's talking about the gospel. He says, it's like this. A guy goes out, he's got a bag of seed, and he's walking along, and he's casting out this seed. And as he does it, the seed falls in a variety of places. He says, you know, there's good news. Some of this seed falls on good soil. I mean, this stuff falls in good soil. It takes root. It grows up strong, and it yields a harvest a hundredfold. I mean, this is a picture of salvation when it works well. He says some of this seed, it is cast out, it lands on the path, the birds swoop down, and they take it away. He goes on, he says some of this seed is cast out, and it lands, but it is choked out by weeds. It's choked out by the thorns and thistles. And then he comes to the one that's important for us today. He says some of this seed. Some of the seed is cast out. It lands in the rocky soil. And this seed begins to give evidence of life, and, it, and, it, and it, it brings forth life, and it looks viable. And it flourishes, and it does well. But then it just dies. You see, for this seed, it never had a root. It never gave, never had real life. And Jesus explains it in verse 20. He says, as for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word, immediately receives it with joy, yet has no root in himself. But he endures for a little while, and when tribulation or persecution arise out of the, when they arise on account of the word, immediately he falls away. You see, what we have here is a picture of someone who, man, they, they attend Ridgecrest, or they attend another church for a while. They hear the good news, man. They hear that there is salvation. There is redemption from sin and death. And they think, Jesus is going to enhance my life in a radically different way. I get to join a church. I get a friend base. And so they start buying into all the positive aspects that church life has to offer. So they come forward or they meet with somebody and they say, absolutely, I want that. And we give no evidence. We have no understanding and, and no you know, preview in conversations that this person is anything other than genuine. So they come forward, they join the church. They, they probably even serve for a while. Mitzi's probably got them back there in Awana, and, and they're the ones that are telling me that you know, you've got to shave off two millimeters off the front of your car. I mean... This, this person's probably doing a really good job, and they're serving, and everybody thinks this person is thoroughly plugged in, and something happens, they fall away. They're gone. Man, we don't, we don't see them anymore. We do. They're just gone. They're absolutely not here. See, this is the person James is talking about. James is talking about the person that comes in and they, they buy into the programs, they buy into the excitement of everything and they, they take it in and among themselves and their own energies and they come to their own understanding of faith. And they are sold out to their own understanding of faith, but when it gets real, when they realize that Jesus is not just your Savior, but He is your Lord, when your life is no longer your own, when they realize that they have to lay down their lives in humble submission before Him, and that He wants not just your time, but He wants your finances, He wants your family, He wants everything about you. So, man, I'm, 
I'm in this for life enhancement. But what you're calling me to is life sacrifice. So they fall away. See, this person never truly believed in the truth, but they liked the sound of it. And what does James call us to? He calls us to minister to these people. These people that in some sense have been inoculated against the gospel. These people that in some sense have grown up in this Christian fashion living in the Bible Belt, but their whole life has been one giant preparation to lead them away from the church and tell you what, we're surrounded by them. You can meet people all over in Greenville, all over the South really, that have a heightened understanding and an awareness of the church, but they've got no desire for it to be in their lives. This is our mission field. As you hear this, you, you begin to think of colleagues, you begin to think of, of school friends, you begin to think of people you know and encounter that this is their life. They came to church for a little while. They did that when they were a child, probably. There is no fruit. There is no evidence. There is nothing to indicate that they have actually surrendered their lives to Christ and received true salvation. The call on us is to help them return to the truth, to cover a multitude of sins, and to save their soul from death. Now, in our contemporary setting, man, we see people leave church for a variety of reasons, do we not? Some of them better than others, but, but we see people leave church for a variety of reasons. And James gives us kind of a play-by-play of the highlight of some of the reasons that people that are saved leave the church. Realizing this is a letter to save people, James writes in 1-2 and he says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. And so some people, when they encounter trials, when their life gets difficult, they just say, you know, the church isn't helping me in this. Man, I'm, I'm suffering, I am I'm dying over here, and it doesn't seem like anybody in the church even cares. And so they just say, you know, if, if this is the way the church is going to be, I can do this on my own. I can suffer in silence on my own. So they walk away. They just walk away. We see other people that leave because of, and James talks about it in chapter 1, verses 9 through 11, financial pressure. See, we see people that are just so crushed and they're, they're drowning in the weight of debt and all these things and, and they don't see the church, they don't see Christianity as having any role to play in that. And so they just say, I, I just, I can't do this. And they walk away. On the flip side, we see those that are just, I mean, they've got it going on. They're, financially, they are, you know, this close to being in Forbes magazine at some point in their next life. And so they think that, man, I have got it made. God has, has blessed me financially, but I don't, I don't need church. I don't need God for that. And so they begin to, to walk away under a different type of financial pressure because they think things have gone so well for them. We see others, as James highlights in 127 and 4, 1 through 10, that they've not kept themselves pure. That they have taken on the stain of the world. That's something James drives at over and over again. He says, my brothers, keep yourself 
unstained from the world. Keep yourself unstained from the world. But they didn't take on that, that word of warning. You see, they tried to live their lives just as they always had, post-salvation. And they didn't realize that the old self was dead, and so they took on all of these things again in their lives. They interacted with their spouse the same way. They viewed pornography in the same way. They viewed all of these issues, chemical dependency. They viewed alcohol. They viewed tobacco. They viewed their job. They viewed everything in the same light that they viewed it before. And what was once washed clean has now become drab, has now become stained by the world. And so they say, church really works against the way that I feel comfortable living my life. And so they walk away. We see others that are, they kind of fall somewhere in the, in the spectrum of partiality. You remember that James talks about the, the rich man and the poor man that walk in? And nobody, nobody wants the poor, stinky guy to sit close to them. Everybody wants the rich you know, guy with money falling out of his pockets to sit by them and hopefully drop some in their pocket. And so what we see in the church today are there people on either side of that spectrum. We see the poor that, that can't offer, that only need come in, and they don't have their needs met. And they feel judged, and they feel embarrassed, and so they leave. We see those that come in, and man, they are dripping with cash, and they don't have their back scratched. And they don't have people value them enough. So they leave, so they walk away. And then we see those in the middle. They see it on both sides. And their steady refrain is, you dirty bunch of hypocrites. You hate the poor man and you love the rich man. And so they leave and they walk away. And see, we see outside of James two other areas. We see the idea of, of apathy and hurt feelings. And you see the church for, for a long time, when I say the church, I'm not talking about just Ridgecrest, but for the church for a long time has just set the bar way too low. We set it too low. We, you know, if you have a pulse and are able to make it forward, you too can be a member of this church. We set the bar too low. We don't expect anything of our members. We don't drive one another to piety, to holiness. And when we begin to, we say, that's not what I signed up for. You see, we are called into radical submission of Christ. We are called into service. Just as we recognize deacons to be servants, we recognize that all members, all members of the body of Christ, I'm not just talking about Ridgecrest members, I'm talking about people that are saved. You are called into service for the king. See, lastly, we see hurt feelings. See, for the last 10 years in this body, there have been a lot of hurt feelings. There have been pastors that have led in directions that there have been people that did not want to follow. And so you worked against that. There have been others who followed that direction and you worked against those that worked against the pastor. There has been disappointment. There has been hurt. There has been mistrust. There have been feelings of being used, of being abused. 
And some people walked away. And here's what we do about that. Some of us in this place today. At some point along the way, you went from being a defender of the truth and a defender of what was right to being a defender of your truth and your position and what you felt was right. You need to evaluate your life. You need to evaluate what you've done and you need to fall on your face before God and humbly ask Him to forgive you. Once you do that, Then you go to those people you've wronged, and you knock on their door, and you say, I was wrong. I didn't know it at the time. I know it now. I was wrong. Will you forgive me? Friends, there is grace, and there is mercy. As we read last week, that there is more grace for forgiveness. To those of you with hurt feelings. To those of you who really felt like when you entered into the church that the crank of of church just turned and you got caught in the cogs of all of this. Man, there is restoration. You need to extend forgiveness to those that have wronged you. You need to quit holding on to these feelings of, of angst, to these feelings of frustration, of anger. You need to find forgiveness. And you need to extend forgiveness even in the places where it is not asked of you. You see, James gives us a picture. He gives us a picture of what the gospel looks like in our lives. And he starts the book and he says, man, there is going to be time, there are going to be times in your life where you hurt. He says, count it all joy when you encounter various trials of many kinds. He says, there are going to be times when you don't have a lot of money and times when you do. And in all of that, you need to recognize God's position in your life. You need to continue to work to keep yourself free from the stains of this world. You see, Philippians was a book about unity and James is a book about putting our faith into practice. God is calling us to the integrity of his body. God is calling us to work for the restoration and for the redemption of those in his body. Will you reach out to those who have been wronged? Will you fall down before God and cry out for forgiveness? Will you work to restore those who have abandoned the truth and those who have left? Because that's the call that God is putting on our hearts. That's the call that God has placed before us. You see, for others of us in here, what, what you have never done is realize that God, God is at work calling you back. That you got a, a taste of salvation that you were the seed sown on the rocky soil. You see, God is at work restoring all things. And God is calling you unto salvation if you would humbly submit yourself before him. Let me pray for us.